0: This morning I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 as we continue together in our study of and our look at the Beatitudes, these marvelous statements of Jesus about what the blessed life looks like. And as we consider all of these uh, attributes one by one that Jesus describes as blessed, we've slowly walked through them and we've taken... Two weeks uh, with each one of them. We've taken a week to look at the actual blessing and the calling. And then the next week, we've spent a little time talking about how to cultivate that activity in your life, that attitude in your life. And today is the second week in one of those Beatitudes. In fact, we're looking at the sixth Beatitude. And as we look at it, we're going to talk about the pursuit of purity. We're going to talk about being pure in heart. And I just want to tell you this. As your pastor, this week I spent a lot of time praying, uh, probably more than usual, just for each of you and praying for me and, and seeing in my own life sort of as the Word of God was reflecting in my heart as a mirror. Uh, Of my own sinfulness, of my own need for Christ, of my own recognition of my failures and my faults. And, you know, as I, I think about it, there's never been a time in our lifetime that the world more desperately needed a clear presentation of the gospel a clear picture of Jesus Christ to our neighbors. And I pray that we would seek after him wholeheartedly, that we would become pure in heart in this, that we would seek after him with our whole heart. We would long for him to be the center of our being. As we consider this sixth beatitude together, let me remind you that attached to each one of these character traits is a corresponding promise. Did you notice this? I think we've got a picture of it. Blessed are and then for they will, right? There is the actual uh, promise attached to each of the blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. For something will happen. Something will be a part of their life. Something will be connected to that trait. Those that are poor in spirit those that mourn over their sinfulness, those that are submitted to God in meekness, there are promises that happen, each and every one of them. And i got to tell you, these are glorious promises that we'll be satisfied, that the kingdom of God will be ours, that we will have... The opportunity to see God? I mean, if you think about that, who would not want those things? And Jesus is saying, go after these things in your life. Seek these attributes in your life. And as you do, you'll get traction. You'll get momentum. I want to remind you, for those that have been here, and then I just want to refresh you, if you've not been here, that we've called this series Traction because we believe that there is a momentum that happens. If you've ever spun your wheels in the mud and gotten stuck, you understand the desperate desire for traction. And if you've ever spun your wheels in life, if you've ever just ticked off days that turned into weeks, into months, and you said, I'm just not going anywhere. It's like being in a rocking chair. There's a lot of activity, but I'm just not moving forward. Well, these beatitudes are for you because they build on one another. They start out with a place of saying, I can do nothing to save myself. I bring nothing to the table. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that are bankrupt spiritually lean on Christ the most. And when we do, it moves us forward in this series of attributes. So that's what I want us to look at. Christ holds out for us particular benefit for each particular quality and these promises are great. And our pattern again has been to take them apart slowly and so today I want to talk about the pursuit of purity. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 is our text for the day and we're going to say it together. If you would read it with me it's on the screen. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Let's say it again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now what I want us to do together today is really begin to to contemplate this seeming impossibility. I mean, we know that seeing God, all the way back to the days of Moses, Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. And God said, no one has seen me and lived. And so the idea that Jesus would... Put this out there almost seems like a taunt. It seems like he's mocking us. It seems like, Jesus, you're calling me to do something and see something and be something that I absolutely cannot be. But we understood last week from a a clear picture of this idea of our heart being pure that Jesus had something in mind that would give to us blessing in life. So think with me for just a moment, sort of background. In the Bible, the heart is called many, many things. The heart really can be used as a symbol for our emotions. Think about it. Jesus said, let not your what? Heart be troubled. Jesus said, don't freak out. Don't get rattled. Don't get upset. Let your heart not be troubled. And then he gave them the reason why. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. But it can be your emotion. It also can be a part of your intellect. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Pastor, we don't think with our heart. What he's saying is that the entirety of our body, our emotions, our intellect, And even our will, think about this, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. So you see the emotion, you see the intellect, you see the will, all wrapped up in the heart. Pastor, what are you trying to tell me? Your heart is the innermost being of your life. When you put all of this together, the Bible links purity... With the heart, and shows that those who value and seek God above all else will be revealed in how they live. That our heart plays out in our emotions, in our intellect, and in our volitional will. The things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we feel, all are grounded in the heart. And Jesus said, The one whose heart is pure, he's blessed. He will see. God. She will see God. There is a glorious picture here that purity flows from a heart that's been transformed by the love and the grace of Jesus. Think about that. I can't be pure of heart without Christ. There's nothing within me that is righteous. The Bible says there's none righteous, not one. But Christ in me becomes the hope of glory, and when I receive his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, you you think about this. No matter how hard you try, you cannot disconnect your sexual behaviors from your heart. No matter how hard you try, you can't disconnect your thought life from your heart. No matter how hard you try, you cannot disconnect your words from your heart. All of them flow from your heart. And for this reason, Jesus said, only the pure in heart can see God. And James said this, those with clean hands and with a pure heart are able to draw near to God. What does that mean? What does it mean? Well, an impure heart leads us to a fall. Maybe you've been there before. Have you found yourself in sort of a daze of of spiritual confusion? You found yourself because of sin uh, clouded in your vision, blinded in your judgment, deaf and dumb to the ways of God and the workings of God. You cannot draw near to God and deliberately walk away from what God says is best for your life. Let me say that again. You cannot draw near to God while deliberately walking away from what God says is best for your life. Purity leads to clarity. Sinfulness leads to fogginess. And we find ourselves in that haze. Impurity leads to double-minded idolatry, meaning that our hearts and our thoughts ultimately are clouded by impurity. Most of the time when we think about purity, we often equate it with sexual activity. And I want you to think about this. Somebody would say with clouded thinking, ungodly logic, I love God, but I love my boyfriend and my girlfriend more, so it's fine for us to mess around. It's a self-centered focus. You cannot reach forward in striving toward God and deliberately walk away from His best. Somebody might say, I love God, but I love pornography more, and so I'm going to keep this secret habit going. Somebody might say in their thought life, I love God, but I want to do things my way and ignore what God says is important. It just doesn't make sense. It's like somebody saying, I love God, but I love my freedom and my family more, so pastor, we're going to use Sundays as family time. You see, when you... Willfully walk away from the things that God has designed for you and desires for you, you will not be in this condition of blessed. These are the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. You need to see that it becomes who we are. It flows out of our lives that we would seek him in purity. Now, simply put, you need to know this. Purity of heart does not mean sinlessness of life. Fill that in. Purity of heart does not mean that you're sinless. The Bible is clear on this point. The Bible says if we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. So all of us are sinful. Now, how can I be pure in heart, Pastor, if it doesn't mean that I'm sinless? You need to understand that you, as a Christian, you are in the process of recovery. It is a lifelong process of recovery. There is growth and there's progress, but there's never perfection this side of life. Let me remind you of what purity means. This is review from last week. Two things. A pure heart is an undivided heart and a clean heart. An undivided heart and a clean heart. When we talk about our heart being undivided, it means that we will to do one thing. A singular heart the opposite of a divided heart. Now, Paul said it this way, not that I have already achieved this, but this one thing I do. That's why, church, lean in. That's why David, a man who committed adultery, a man who committed murder, who lied and was caught up in a web of deception could be called a man after God's own heart because the ultimate trajectory of his life was a sense of broken humility that would drive him toward God. It's not about sinlessness. It's about having an undivided, singular heart. Now, I want you to see this, too. It is all about having a cleansed heart, and I really, really, really need you to focus with me because God took me through some things with this this week. If you begin to think of what Christ has done to cleanse your heart, I want to give you three words. Number one, when you came to Christ, Romans 5 says we are justified in Christ, and that's a legal term. Write that word down. It's legal that means that God in Christ drops all the charges against you. That would be a great place to say hallelujah. Thank you. That was two of you. Anybody here thankful that God has dropped their sinful charges? I want to raise them both. I want to fall to my knees. I want to say, oh God, I cannot believe that I can be right before a holy God. I can enter into the presence of a holy God in my sinful condition, knowing my heart, knowing my mind, knowing my attitude, knowing my disposition towards selfishness. God justified me in Christ when Christ hung on the cross and when he said it is finished, his work was completed, my sin debt was paid. Justified. An old country preacher said this. He said, well, when God justifies us, he treats me justified, never sinned. And that sounds really good, and that's how he treats you, except you did sin, and that makes it all the more beautiful. Because you sin, he doesn't just wink at your sin. He doesn't nod at your sin. His son died to pay for your sin. You're justified in a legal way. Secondly, I want you to see that he forgives you. He forgives you, and that's a relational aspect of cleansing. In Christ, God reconciles you to himself. He not only justifies us legally and drops the charges, but he draws us to himself. Thirdly, he cleanses us, and that's personal. In Christ, God washes your heart and your life. And some of you need to get hold to this because I see so many Christians are living beneath their privilege. They're living in a place of defeat and discouragement and the fog of impurity because they don't recognize what God's done for them. I can only be pure of heart in and through and because of Jesus. Jesus justified me. Jesus forgave me and Jesus Cleansed me and is cleansing me and continuing to work in my life and in yours. The sixth beatitude is all about the cleansing. The sixth beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's about God taking the baggage out of your life, the effects of a soul, uh, of what you've seen and thought and loved and done, and washing you clean. It's about God dealing with our twisted patterns of thinking and our misdirected patterns of loving and our compulsive patterns of behavior and making them right. How do we pursue that? That's the question of the day. We're going to take just the next few minutes thinking through this. Some of you that were here Wednesday morning are saying, this sounds strangely familiar. It's the exact same thing I shared. I had people that came to me. I was so grateful. Conversations after Wednesday morning, and they said, Pastor, if our church began to understand who we are in Christ and respond appropriately in our community, it would turn Hattiesburg right side up. It would change the Pine Belt. It would fundamentally change this church. We would experience revival. We would experience healing and freedom from addiction." and brokenness in marriage would be restored, we would begin to see God's glory in our land. And I don't know about you, but I'm at a place this morning where I desperately need a fresh touch from God and the healthiest way that I can get it is to gaze upon his beauty and recognize I've been justified, I've been forgiven, and I've been cleansed. And that is a great place for hallelujah. Amen. Y'all are coming around. You know, I had a week full of blessing to back up my praise, but we've had a week full of struggle that leads us to cry out in prayer. Oh, that we would take the struggles and the blessings all to the feet of Jesus. Today, I want to take just a few minutes and I want to talk to you about how to pursue this matter of purity. How to pursue being pure in heart. I want to give you one singular word. How do we pursue purity of heart? God calls us to be proactive. You want to jot that down somewhere. You need to seek after it proactively. Notice the active language with me. Let me just run through some scripture. James chapter 4 verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Notice who's acting here. It's not God, it's you. Purify your hands. Cleanse your hearts. Let me give you another one. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 1 Peter 1.22 Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Wait a minute. If I obey the truth of God, it leads me toward purity? Yes. You see, God acted in justification. There is nothing you can do to justify yourself before God. You realize that, right? None of you can earn it. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not handsome enough. You're not rich enough. You don't have the pedigree. You can't get it on your grandfather's coattails. It doesn't matter if your whole family was filled with preachers and teachers and missionaries. You cannot earn your way into the presence of holiness. And neither can I. The only way is at the foot of the cross. The only way is for us to come to God and say, God, I am broken. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, it comes from that very first place. That's why we get traction. Some of you today need to go to that place. Some of you need to come to the end of yourself so you can get to the beginning of God. And when you get to the beginning of God, you realize that he has eternal life that never, ever fails. It's like an artesian spring that bubbles up in our lives and gives to us purity. When you obey the truth, there in Scripture, you purify soul it's of huge importance church family the language regarding justification is all passive Jesus justifies but you are to be active in this matter of sanctification the old hymn writer said this nothing in my hand I bring simply to your cross I cling And that's true for salvation's sake, but sanctification's different. Our place is to look to Christ to make us holy, but listen to the words of J.C. Ryle. In justification, our own works have no place at all, and simple faith in Christ is the one thing needed. That's a good place for all of us to say hallelujah. And we come to here, and we see, in sanctification, our own works are of vast importance, and God bids us to fight and watch, and pray, and strive, and take pains and labors. Listen to me, church family, listen. God puts responsibility on you and me for growing in purity. God puts that responsibility on us. We are to seek it, and when Christ says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's saying that one whose singular focus is to trust me and to walk in obedience, that person will see God. You need to begin to understand this. In 30 plus years of being a pastor, I've seen people wonderfully changed. I've seen people go from absolute chaos and disorder and destruction in their life to peace and contentment and purpose and joy. And the reality is, in large measure, I've seen a whole bunch of people who've not been set free from any of their baggage. They walk down the aisle, maybe these very aisles, and they took a pastor by the hand and they went through the motions of being baptized and they show up for church, but they're not in any place growing in an active pursuit of purity. And they wonder why they struggle so much and they wonder why they're defeated so much and they remain much as they were over time simply becoming an older version of what they used to be. Maybe that's you today. What makes the difference in the one who is transformed radically, who who is tender-hearted and on mission, the one who is longing to share and to pray and to encourage and to teach and to invite? I'm not just talking about becoming good church members. I'm talking about faithful followers of Jesus. How many of you would say, I mean, let's just do this and be real. How many of you could identify somebody in your life? You don't have to name them or point at them. But if you know somebody in your life that you admire their Christian walk, you say, that man walks with Jesus. That woman loves the Lord. You could raise your hand today and say, that's somebody that I would love to emulate. I would love to follow after. What's the difference in their life and yours? What's the difference in that person? It's the working of the Holy Spirit as they cleanse their soul through obedience to the truth. It doesn't mean that it's on us, it's on Him. We can't start with number six. We go back to the beginning. God, I've got nothing. And I know I'm sinful. I mourn over my sin, but I submit myself to you. There's meekness. And all of a sudden, there's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, and it begins to boil out in purity of heart and obedience of life. You can't separate your actions from the attitude of your heart. Now, as we pursue it, I want to give you, as we kind of draw this to a a focus, I want to give you seven activities that I believe are pursuits that every one of us can follow that will promote purity of heart. Number one, you need to believe. And this is what I call the practice of trusting Christ to change you. How many of you believe that you are too far gone for Jesus to save? Maybe you've been there. I know people that have said that. That's almost an arrogant statement. God does not have the capability to even comprehend how bad I've been. And I say, oh, you have no idea how great my God is. When somebody says, Pastor, I just don't think that I could be saved. I think God would not be able to reach somebody like me. That's the most arrogant thing I can imagine. But some of you think, well, I've been in this mess for so long. Even as a Christian, I don't know that God can change the situation. You better start faithing God. You better start believing God to change the circumstance, to change the situation. I love James 1, 6, and 7, where scripture says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the ocean that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from God. If you don't think God can change you, then you're not going to take any acts of belief or faith. Faith is confidence in God's ability not only to justify, but to forgive. And to cleanse. I hope that you hang on to those three words with me. I want you to say them. Say this with me. In Christ, In Christ I, am I am justified. In Christ, In Christ. I am forgiven. I am In, Christ, In Christ, I am cleansed. As you think about being justified and forgiven and cleansed, you ought to walk out of this place different. You ought to walk out of here with a singular purpose to say, Christ has done all that in me and for me and to me, and now he wants to work through me. My life should be different because of the work of Christ. I want to pursue holiness. I don't want to be tripped up by any lesser things. I want to believe that he can and will change me. Faith in Christ is confidence in his ability to do all those things. And faith is the means by which we receive good gifts from Christ. Put your trust in him. Believe in him. Number two, confess. This is very pointedly the practice of naming and opposing particular sins. I'm not talking about name it and claim it on the good side. I'm talking about naming your sin for what it is. Idolatry before God. Selfishness before God, lust, greed, anger, wrath, prejudice, whatever it is, you need to name it and then walk away from it, oppose it. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteous. Notice that confession is linked and related to cleansing. I love that picture. When you set your mind to go after purity, you need to identify the sins from which you want your soul to be purified. What are the big sins that lurk in this soul and need to be hunted down? God, there are things in my life that are keeping me from seeing you, keeping me from experiencing you. And folks, is that not your goal? I mean, doubtless, almost everybody in here, if I said, do you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life? You would say, yes, absolutely. But we walk in disobedience. Why? Because our hearts are impure. They're double-minded. And Christ is saying, look to me. You need to confess, specifically naming and opposing those sins. Our first calling is to confess our sins to God. Maybe you need to recognize that there's also a calling to confess sins to one another. We're we're terrified that if we do, it'll end up somewhere on social media or otherwise. We've got a, a bad, bad habit of burying our wounded. And we need to love one another. We need to encourage one another. But we need to be in the act of confessing sin. Number three, we need to obey. This is the practice of immersing yourself in the Word of God. Christ loved the church and He gave Himself for her. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that He would sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water of the Word. I I use that word immerse very intentionally here because I want you to see that we need to have Scriptures with the purifying effect of Scripture all over our life we need to be marinating our minds in the word of God John 17, 17 Jesus prayed and said God sanctify them by your truth your word is truth over the years as a pastor I've noticed a consistent pattern that people whose lives are significantly changed are people that spend time in the word of God period they read it they memorize it they meditate on it they, they study it they apply it, they seek after it they're like sponges when it comes to the word of God they hide scripture in their hearts and it has a purifying effect in their life and the opposite is true I I see this all the time I've never seen a person grow in purity of heart that would not or did not spend time in the word of God the entrance of God's word gives light and it disinfects and if you'll immerse yourself in the word of God and apply its truth to your heart it will change you you'll grow in purity you want to grow in purity then come to this place of believing, come to this place of confessing and obeying, come to this place of worship. The principle is simple, and I really want to pull over here for just a minute. Worship is the next one. Worship is the practice of gazing on the glory of God. Let me just try to illustrate as best I can. How does somebody become addicted to alcohol? How does somebody become addicted to sex? How does somebody become addicted to money or any other addiction? I'll contend that they worshiped their way into that addiction. You see, here's what worship is. Worship is nothing more than than a response and they were looking to something to supply for them what God is designed to supply. Happiness, contentment, fulfillment, peace. Anytime we use something materially for some other reason besides its intended purpose, we make an idol out of that thing. You don't believe me? Let me explain. I drive a pickup truck, and I drive a pickup truck because I need to get from point A to point B, and I like my old truck. I use it for transportation. You know what it was designed for? Transportation. But let's just suppose that I decide to go out and I buy a car with a specific emblem on it, a specific name on it. And I do that and I feel better about myself because I drive that kind of car, that kind of truck. And I try to impress people. You see, now I'm driving a vehicle for status not for transportation and that has just become an idol. God wants my identity to be grounded in Him, not in that vehicle, right? I can do the same thing with the place I live. Boy, if I lived in that neighborhood, if we would move in that subdivision, people would think differently of us. And when we do that, we make it an idol. You see, you worship that thing because you make that thing an idol. And when something becomes an idol and you worship it, it will take the place of God. Now, how do you get out of it? I want you to see the exact same process as the way home. You can worship your way out of some addictions today. Turn your eyes to Jesus Christ. Begin to see that the idols of your life will come strangely dim, as the writer of the hymn says, when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look in His face. When we worship God, when we're pure in heart, those things begin to melt out of our lives. And yes, we live in a sin-sick world, and yes, that there are diseases and issues, and sometimes we need external help, but I'm just telling you that if you'll pursue purity, the, the entrapments of this world will start to fade. I'll go back to the idea of believing. Think about this, many of you don't believe. Well, the temptation's been so long. And so hard, I don't know that I can be freed from this. You better trust Christ. You better recognize who he is and put him in his rightful place. He is sovereign. He's sovereign over every temptation. He's sovereign over every addiction. He is sovereign over every sin and every false idol of this world. And you can trust him and he can cleanse you. Oh, that we would be set free. Oh, that the people of God would begin to walk in the liberty that we have. And we do so when we worship. It's becoming by beholding. Write that down somewhere. Becoming by beholding. What do I mean by that? Scripture says very simply that with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You look at Jesus, I mean, really, earnestly, look at Jesus you'll never be the same number five ask the practice of praying for purity this is a believer's prayer David says it in Psalm 51 create in me a clean heart renew a right spirit in me we need to be washed on a regular basis We need to be cleansed on a regular basis, proactive in asking God for purity. Thomas Watson, a Puritan writer, said this, most men pray more for full purses than pure hearts. That'll leave a mark. When's the last time you simply said, God, make me desire purity? God, I long to be Longing for you alone. When did you last ask God for a pure heart? Practice praying for purity. Number six, persevere. The practice of getting up when you've fallen down. I love this in Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. Some of you have experienced the restoring power of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I have. I have fallen so many times. I've shared with you my friend Steve Canfield, who is a, uh, an evangelist with Life Action Ministry, said if you could see in my heart, you'd probably spit in my face. I look at him and I go, he's one of the godliest men I've ever known. And he said, you have no idea the depth of depravity that lives within my own heart, within my own mind. And I constantly have to kill sin. I have to mortify the sin in my life and crawl back up on the altar as a living sacrifice, knowing that God's desire for me is that I would be open to life and shut off from death. And if you've experienced that restoration power, then you recognize and you can do it again. Maybe you're in a sin right now. Maybe you're in a habitual sin and nobody else knows about it. Maybe you've played the game and put up the front. And today, you just need to simply say, I want to persevere and pursue purity. I want to move after God. I want Christ to be the center of my life. He can and will restore. What's the worst sin we can possibly imagine? Well, if we're going to rank and rate sins, we would often say that denying Jesus Christ is about the worst thing that you can do. I look at Peter on that seashore, and Jesus looked into his eyes with love, and he restored him even after denying Christ three times, even after doing that which we think is unspeakable, that he would absolutely deny even knowing the Lord, curse his name. God would use him greatly. God would use him for kingdom expansion. 2,000 years later, we're still standing in pulpits and we're talking about the words and the works of Peter. I'm so grateful that God is a God of grace and second chances, aren't you? Persevere. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't sit on the sideline. Persevere in nobody makes uninterrupted progress on this pathway of purity when you set yourself to battle against sins that have held sway in your heart know this you're going to stumble and you're going to fall don't be surprised but don't be overwhelmed by your failure discouragement blunts the edge the cutting edge if you will of many believers and when you get tired of the battle it's easy to give up hope you find yourself saying well it may work for other people but it's not working for me The people who've made progress in the Christian life are people who get up when they fall down, and that's what you need to do. You need to say, as the writer of Scripture, when I fall, I will rise, and when I sit in darkness, God will be my light. Number seven, anticipate. It's the practice of knowing who you are and rejoicing over who you will be. 1 John 3, 1. See what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Who you are in Christ, you're a dearly beloved child of God, redeemed by His precious blood. It's hard to sin willfully against love like that. Let me say that again. It's hard to sin willfully against love like that. And when we sin willfully, it's because we are moving ourselves short of sight of the love of Jesus for us. Because when I recognize his love for me, I move right back into a place of being spiritually bankrupt, of grieving and mourning over my sin, of submitting myself humbly, of realizing and recognizing a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Oh wait, now I'm getting some traction. I'm moving forward at living the blessed life and that's what Jesus is describing to us is how to be blessed but not only who you are what you will be 1 John 3 2 says we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself for he is pure blessed are the pure in heart why? they will see God I wrote in my journal early this morning kind of the close of this message. Because God's just convicted me. Scott, you've tried to strive for perfection. You've put your hope in, in having worship services are perfect and, and uh, the sound system goes out. You, you've tried to put your hope in all kinds of things about how this church should be. And Scott, you've made an idol out of Hardy Street Baptist Church in your own heart. Why don't you love me as, you, as much as you love the church? As much as you love the, the organization of the church. And why don't you just see the church as my bride that I redeemed. And I'm just being transparent with you. And I begin to think of my own sinfulness. I, I want to shove those things away. Because I know that I've been forgiven. I know that I've been justified. I know that he is cleansing me. And I want to live my life in a pure way. So that I will stand before him and hear well done. Good and faithful servant." Here's what I wrote. Some people have the idea that purity is something that you have when you're young and you lose it when you mess up. But in the Bible, purity is something that you go after continually, constantly. It is not so much something that you lose, but something that you gain as you grow in the Christian life. Go after purity, Hardy Street, a clean heart, an undivided heart. And the more you grow in the purity of heart, the more you will see God. And the more you see God, the more you will seek God. And the more you see of Him in worship and in His Word, the more of Him in your trials and your triumph, the more of Him in others, and you'll see more of Him in this church and in our world. Oh, that we would see the glory of God! All of this you see with the eye of faith and then when Christ comes or calls, you will see him face to face. And when you see him, the word of God says you'll be like him. This morning may not have been for anybody else but your pastor. God wrecked me with his word this week in a good way. I want to be singular in my focus to say, Jesus, you're all I want. And Jesus, you're all I need. Amen? Today, would you trust him? We're going to give just a simple opportunity for response. We do this each and every week. If you're new to our church, very simply, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing a song, we call it just a a time of response. We have encouragers. They're, They're dear friends that will help you to pray through whatever decisions you might have. Maybe you're just struggling in your spiritual condition in your life. I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are while we're singing. Nobody will embarrass you. Nobody will harm you in any way. They want to help you. They want to pray for you and encourage you. And so if you'll make your way down the aisle, our encouragers station themselves right over here. You can come to them. Maybe you want to unite with this church. Maybe you have some other decision to make public. Now is the time for you to let God have his way and for you to do business with God. Let's stand together and sing. You respond as we sing.